We are looking at the Sermon on the Mount this fall, and we have uh, past two weeks looked at the Beatitudes, which um, is an interesting way for Jesus to begin this sermon. But as we said, this is sort of the doorway to his sermon, and the sermon is what life inside his kingdom looks like. And uh, so he's going to be describing this kingdom. And uh, one of the things we said about the Beatitudes was, you know, here's the platform, if you will, for Jesus' kingdom and who receives it and who enters it and what it's about. And if you, you know, if you uh, like those things, then they're yours. Come, come, come follow me. Um, and we come now to a, a part of the sermon as we, or in his sermon, as we come out of the Beatitudes, we'll look at one more blessed statement, which is what those Beatitudes come from. And this then follows logically what we've already heard. These are the results as well of these attitudes, okay? So again, we looked at the attitudes of need and how they move us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then how that hunger and thirst for righteousness leads us to action. And this is sort of a snapshot of being a part of this kingdom, of following Jesus. And now Jesus is about to tell us, okay, here are the results of that. Here are the results of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Here are the results of following me. So with that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word found in verses 10 to 16 in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown away, trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would... Graciously pour out your spirit to teach us that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears to see and hear things otherwise we could not. Not just to, to grab for more knowledge or insight, but to actually be changed. Uh, would you do that work in us as well, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of my children will remain nameless for this illustration. Um, when they, were, when they were younger, when we were living in Texas, um, had this aversion to anything that would make her tired, uh, hot, and or sweaty. Um, and this was a problem, especially when she wanted to do things like play soccer outside in Texas. And uh, this led to an interesting way to navigate the sport. Uh, never seen anything like this. Uh, to picking and choosing what parts of practice she would try out or she would, she would participate in, even picking and choosing which positions she would play and not play, all centered around the idea of like, well, if I go do this, I'm going to get hot 
and sweaty, and I don't want to do that, but I want to play soccer. Uh, I actually witnessed myself when coach would call the, the, the kids to do some laps for um, just for, you know, for, for exercise, for you know, normal conditioning. Uh, that was this child's time to go get water because we're not, we're not here for the hot stuff. Um, very early on, uh, the position of choice was goalie. Not a lot of running in goalie, right? I, I see a lot of brilliance coming out, by the way, in this. So I just want to say this is not a negative illustration, just some keen observations. I didn't really like goalie, but it was the one that I could be on the team and not get too hot and sweaty and tired. But as any, parents know, as any parent knows, if you're going to play soccer, right, if you're going to do something like this, there is no separation between it and the work that, re- that it's, required, it's required of it that ultimately makes you tired and sweaty and hot, especially, especially when you're in Texas. You can't avoid it. It, it. it comes with the territory. Actually, I might go so far as to say getting tired, getting hot, coming home with your clothes drenched in sweat is actually evidence that you are, in fact, a soccer player, that you are, in fact, getting better and working hard, okay? But I digress. This morning, as we enter this part of, the, of, of, of Jesus' sermon, and as we exit the Beatitudes, he's actually doing the same thing that I just described there uh, as it pertains to uh, playing soccer. There are certain things that come with the territory. There are certain things that being a Christian, you cannot avoid, and Jesus is laying out three of these. That is, to be a Christian, first and foremost, is to bring persecution upon yourself because of the way you live and who you follow. It's right out of the gates. But also, by virtue of being in Christ, you are then described as two things, salt and light. And these are not options. You cannot separate these things. They come with the territory. And this is what I want us to see as we enter into, further into this sermon. And I want us to look at these these things in two ways. I want us to see them as, one, first, the hard good news in the text, the hard good news in the text, and then I want us to see the good, hard news in the text, okay? The good, hard news in the text. Okay, so let's do the first one, the hard, good news in the text. The hard, good news in the text is that the first thing that you can expect to, in following Jesus and, and, and belonging to his kingdom is persecution, is persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, All right, this is hard news because what Jesus is saying is that following me will result in persecution of some form. It will result in some type of suffering and some type of of something happening to you that otherwise you would not want this to happen. But it's good news because Jesus still calls this blessed. Jesus still calls this blessed. Look, no one wants to be persecuted. No one one should be looking for it either. Rather, it is a result and consequence of following Jesus and are living in his kingdom. Let's define persecution, though, real quick, because this is important for us to understand what he is saying and what he's not saying. If we look at the Greek here, the word for persecution literally means to make to run or to flee. Right? That's one use of it, to put to flight 
But it can also be, broadly speaking, a kind of harassment or trouble that would cause one to suffer. But notice that verses 10 and 11 talk about two different reasons for being persecuted. And this is important. Right? There's, there's, there's persecu- persecution, Jesus says, for righteousness' sake in verse 10. Then there's persecution for simply being a follower of Jesus, right? for my sake. That's in verse 11. So off or out of the gates, we should say, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted or who suffer, period. Which is to say that Jesus doesn't bless all suffering. He doesn't bless any and all persecution. It's persecution, first and foremost, for righteousness sake. Now, what is that? And I find it more helpful to talk about what it's not first than what it is. So let's do that, and let's, let's call on Martin Lloyd-Jones here for some help. What persecution is not? First, persecution is not being disagreeable, obnoxious, or even foolish, and thus receiving some type of, 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 of attack or hit or suffering as a result. Um, when I was at the University of Tennessee as a student, every year we had this traveling group led by Brother Micah who would come and he would plant right there in the center of, of, of traffic, usually by the student center, and he would get on a box and he would have a microphone and he would just preach. And you can guess what kind of preaching Brother Micah was into. It was the kind of preaching that was hail and brimstone, repent and believe, which is not all bad in and itself. But this would, this would move into very, very slanderous speech, like if you're in a sorority, you're going to hell. Right, just blanket statements that were very obnoxious, uh, very disagreeable, we should say. Um, and you would see students, you know, kind of gather around and listen to this. Many who had not experienced this kind of interaction before. Some would try to engage Brother Micah. Nobody was having conversation at this point in time. It was all just a, a, a mob. Interesting enough, Brother Micah was still around by the time I went to seminary and then went to go do college ministry at Alabama. So coming and doing his thing there. Here's the bit. Brother Micah 100% believes that he is being persecuted for being a Christian because of the things that he is saying and the way that he's being responded to. And what I would argue is, no, you're being persecuted because you're a jerk. This is, this is what persecution is not. To go and be obnoxious, to go and be disagreeable, and then to receive some type of response that that is less than what you were expecting is not necessarily persecution, okay? That's the first one. Second, making bad choices and being persecuted is not necessarily the type of persecution that Jesus is blessing here either. You could choose to wear your rival team's jersey and, and whatever it is on an away game, right? Whether that's, maybe that's Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan, I don't know where it is right now. But you can wear that Maryland red in there. And if you get something thrown on you, that is not persecution for righteousness snake that, that Jesus blesses. Um, again, traveling back to college, going to Gainesville was the rival, was our road rival. And everybody knew that if you were going to wear your orange into Gains into the University of Florida Stadium, you could expect to have at least two cups of something poured on you. It was just part of it. Your decision to go into that, 
doesn't necessarily mean that you're being persecuted. We, we, Jesus is not saying that I will bless your poor decision making. Um, he is saying you will be blessed for righteousness sake. Some Tennessee fans argue that's righteousness sake, but that's another, another discussion. Um, being persecuted for a cause is not necessarily the persecution that Jesus is blessing here. You might think that there's nothing more important than this one thing. And your entire life now is sold out, not just for this one thing, but making sure other people know that this is the most important thing. And what, what begins to happen is that, that, that this kingdom that Jesus is describing and its values, it, it shifts and it becomes about what, what, what is your kingdom and what your values are and what you feel like is the most important thing to be promoted. To use a very stark and drastic illustration, right, at the end of World War II, many of the higher-ups in the Nazi uh, regime were committing suicide, and when you read the history books, what's the reason they committed suicide? It wasn't so much that because they were going, you know, to, to suffer uh, the trials of, you know, this, that, and the other thing for, for war. Many say that they did not want to live in a world where Arianism wasn't law. Like, that's pretty dark. Um, and so they killed themselves. Jesus doesn't bless all causes. Let's go lighter. Just because you post a Christian article on Facebook and receive tons of, uh, of comments, negative comments about it, isn't necessarily persecution. It just might be a bad place to engage in conversation. Our causes, our reasons for doing things, however virtuous they might be, isn't necessarily the persecution that Jesus is describing here and what he is blessing. All suffering is not persecution. Sorry, not all suffering is persecution, and not all persecution is for righteousness' sake. So what is persecution for righteousness' sake? It is living by the kingdom ethic. It is living by the kingdom standards and then suffering for them as a consequence. You are not looking for this, Right? You're, not, you're not trying to go and put yourself in a place where you will be attacked. At the same time, you're not retreating when that stuff shows up. All right, so what is the kingdom standard? What is the kingdom ethic? Let's just stay where Jesus stays. Let's start with peacemaking. That, that is one of the things that's indicative of this kingdom, that because of the meek, because of, of who you know who you are and who you're not, that you are a needy person, that you have received this righteousness from Jesus, this has now given you uh, this disposition to go into the world, not inserting yourself, not trying to prove anything to anybody. You can actually love other people. You can bring peace to them. Well, don't all people want peace? What's wrong with peace? Depends on what kind of peace we're talking about. We can think of a lot of people who had an understanding of a type of peace that I would say is very biblical, that the world didn't think much of. Stop thinking of Jesus for a second. <laughs> but let's just think about Martin Luther King Jr., assassinated. Why? Because there were those who didn't agree, to put it mildly, right? It was more than, agree with his version of this world and the peace that, it, that, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't still in it. Not everybody agrees with this kingdom standard. 
stop being surprised by that. Dan Doriani, in his commentary, cites the assassination of then Egyptian Prime Minister Anwar Sadat in 1981. Some of you will remember this. He was assassinated by his own people. Why? Because he was seeking peace with Israel. Later, an Israeli assassinated his prime minister, Yitzhak Rabin, if I'm butchering that pronunciation, for why? Seeking peace with Palestinians and Arabs. In other words, Jesus is drawing his disciples to the reality that the things that his kingdom promotes, his kingdom standards, though they are good things, are not things that people will simply be indifferent about or just go along with. There are some that will hate them. And you will be persecuted for living out those standards. This is what it means to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Okay, that's the first kind. Then there's persecution for simply following Jesus, which I love because he doesn't leave this out. Jesus blesses persecution when it occurs because of him or by being a follower of his. In other words, the first persecution Jesus blesses is when you are persecuted for trying to live out the values of the kingdom, but you are also blessed when you are persecuted for simply following the king. There's no way out, is his point. Verse 12, rejoice though and be glad for your reward is great in heaven and so, uh, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, okay? This is the hard good news of following Jesus and belonging to his kingdom. You will be persecuted, but the good news is rejoice and be glad for why? Your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Why does he say that? And why is that the good news? The good news isn't so much that there's this reward for you in heaven, although I'm sure that's nice. The good news is that when persecution comes on you for this reason, it actually tells you who you are and who you align with, which doubles as an assurance of, I am being identified with Christ. I'm being identified with the King. And for that, there should be much rejoicing. Because so was the case for the prophets. Those who God commissioned to be these special people still were persecuted for communicating and, 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 you know, living out the kingdom ethic. But what it does is it shows us who we really are and who we are aligned with which is to say that we are Christians. Now, as I say that, I don't want that to say, okay, well, man, it's been a while since I've felt persecution. Maybe there's something wrong. I don't know, maybe there is. But that's not, that's, that's not a call for us to charge into the lanes of persecution just to have some type of assurance. It will just come. It is part of the territory. Before we move on to the next point, I, 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 I'm sensitive to the fact that there are many in here who have experienced persecution that many of us in this, in this room also will never taste. 
And it's easy for somebody to get up here who, for the most part, feels like has avoided much of that. But I think when you listen to and you you talk to those who have been on the front lines, as it were, of persecution, you recognize that there's something there that's going on that, that you just long for to be in yourself should you be in that situation. And that is whether my life is taken here or not, there's something far better that is happening here than anything else. That I am with Christ and he is with me. This is the rejoicing, friends. This is, this is why when we talk about how when Jesus sets out on these beatitudes, he's talking about an integrity, an internal integrity that, that, that centers life. That says, this is how I navigate life. It changes persecution into a blessing. And so as I leave this point, but as I say that, I, I'm not making persecution, I'm not making light of it at all. Some of you know people who have lost family members, who have lost children. It is horrific, but it will be made right too. And for those who have lost their lives or who have been persecuted for righteousness sake, for following Jesus, not only great is your, you know, you know there is nothing better than being identified with Christ. And that is not something you have done. That is something that Christ has done in you. May that be our reward as we think about persecution in this world and for the reasons that Jesus blesses it, which is for righteousness' sake, but also for my sake too. This is the good, hard news. Let's move to the hard, good news then, verses 13 to 16. Jesus moves out of the statement of blessing to begin to declare two things that are true that come with being someone who is a believer in Christ. And you are these two things. You are salt and you are light. This is, again, the results of the Beatitudes, the results of this righteousness that you hunger and thirst for and where it's being satisfied in Christ, which is uh, the same thing as saying, I am a believer in Jesus. You are now declared something. You are declared salt and you are declared light. And the importance of this is understanding who you are. Because understanding who you are is crucial to understanding the mission or what you are to be doing in Jesus' kingdom. A lot of college illustrations for some reason. Maybe it was our college lunch last week. I don't know. When I entered uh, my freshman year at the University of Tennessee, I entered into the engineering school. And um, I I, I thought engineering was kind of neat. I kind of had a mind for math and science. Those were some of the reasons, I would say the majority of the reasons, which I've since repented of, was because of this prestigiousness of it that I wanted to be included in on. Wanted to be one of the brightest, one of the smartest. And if Ryan's going to the University of Tennessee, then he needs to be in that group, so we're gonna start in that college. I suffered because of it, but that's, we can talk about that later. The point of this is, as, we, as I went through my freshman year and as I went into my sophomore year, the Lord and his patience just working on me, Ryan, you don't have to do this to prove something else. And I remember sitting in a probably, I think it was like material science and engineering class, the worst class I've ever taken. Sorry if that was your favorite class, but this is going to make more sense here in a second. And I remember sitting down in the lab, and I remember looking to my right and to my left at, at, at you know, the people in this, next to me, and I was like, I don't belong here. This is not me. And my major afforded me the opportunity to take uh, some business electives and a communications elective uh, the next semester. And I did. And I thought, I am home. This is wonderful. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with getting an engineering degree. Let me first say that. But I think you all know why I'm saying this, and you're already thinking it. Ryan, you're not an engineer, and it's okay. As a matter of fact, my friends, my closest friends, one who was an engineer, looked at me and said, Ryan, I love you. You are not an engineer. Go sell hamburgers or something else, right? Like that. And the freedom, guys, that came with that was amazing. What's the point? Understanding who you are is crucial to understanding the mission. I was never going to be an engineer. I was never going to go apply for an engineering job. It was all show. But understanding that freed me up to understand more of who I was, which then helps me understand what the mission is. And that's what Jesus is telling us right here. That's what he's telling you as his disciples. That's what he's telling his disciples who he's speaking to. And what, what are you? Who are you? You are salt and you are light. And understanding those two things has everything to do with understanding your mission. So let's look, what does he mean by salt? Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But as salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We, we are familiar with at least one of two of these qualities, primarily the first one. The first quality of salt was a preservative. Right? You, would, you would coat a meat in it, and we still do that today, to preserve it, right? to, to, to slow the process of decay. And, and that is essentially what, exactly what Jesus is getting at with his disciples. Your presence in the world right, is actually going to have an effect of slowing the moral decay, though, as it, was, as it were. Your presence is going to, to be grace, um, what we call, um, I'm blanking now, um, common grace, excuse me, common grace to people. Let me give you an illustration for this. A friend of mine tells this story of, of getting on a plane. Um, I don't know where he's going, doesn't matter. And um, he was walking down the aisle and passed by these two guys that are sitting there and they are, they are well into their fifth or sixth cocktail. We'll just put it that way. And there's a lot of language. There's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of loudness. And he's sitting two seats behind them and he's thinking, Man, this, this is not going to be a fun flight, one, but two, this, this could really get out of hand because these guys, were, they had no care or concern for anybody around them. Uh, expl expletives flying out left and right with kids sitting around, just no, no awareness, no care, no concern. Just as he's sitting down and as he's getting to his seat, he sees also walking now finally to their seat these two women who were nuns, dressed full, Uniform, whatever you call that. I'm Protestant, sorry. Somebody said it. And would you believe it that they kept walking and their seats were right in between my friend and these two gentlemen having a good time, right in front. And my friend would go on to say that from the, from the time that they sat down, you didn't hear a, a word out of those two having a, whatever it was they were doing, right? No more cocktails ordered. It was probably nap time. What's the point? Just their presence had an effect on slowing, as we might say, the effects of moral decay. They didn't have to say anything. They didn't have to do anything. Not saying they shouldn't have. That is salt in the first sense. 
okay? The second sense, though, of salt, which, which actually becomes more directed towards the mission, is that salt is only worth something, right, if it goes into something. Like when you go home for lunch today or if you're at school this week in the cafeteria, you don't walk through the line in the cafeteria and say, I'm going to grab my mashed potatoes, I'm going to grab my, my protein, whatever that might be, and these yummy carrots and beans, all the healthy stuff, and then I'm going to take some salt, I'm going to put it right here in the corner of my tray, and then maybe I'll dip my things into the salt. What do you do? You put the salt on the mashed potatoes. You put it on the, on the things, and you work it in. So that it what? It brings out those flavors. Jesus is saying, you are salt. You have this ability to slow moral decay, but you also have this ability to bring out gospel flavors as it is being worked into the world. This is why this is hard. Because Jesus is also saying, we have to go into places that nobody wants to go into. It's good news here in a second because you're going to be able to influence people for eternity. But it's hard because nobody wants to do it. And as I say that, I know that's a huge general statement. I know that many of us in here are doing it and doing the best they can to go into hard and difficult places. But you understand, you understand why I'm calling this point the hard good news. You cannot be something like salt and just sit on the edge of your world and not expect for it to lose its effect. The mission, because of what you are, is then to go into something. The world here, to be that, to bring out the gospel. What are those gospel flavors, right? It, we'll get to it in a second, but it's acknowledging the wonders and the grace and the mercy and the beauties of Jesus Christ. Living that out, talking about that, right? All those things. And this is why Jesus is calling them salt. This is why it's hard, though. Nobody wants to do it. And so, do you, first of all, do you understand that? Do you understand who you are and thus the implications of that for the mission that he is calling you? Second light, and we'll be shorter here. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In our pastoral ministry time, we were looking at this text, and Jamie noted that, that word for good there also means beautiful. Right? The, the, the things you would do. Right? We think of good works in one way, but do we think about them as beautiful works? Things that would cause people to look and say, wow, what is that? That's beautiful. I, I want to know more about that. That's what that is. Disciples are not only salt that slows decay and brings things out, of, you know, and brings out the gospel flavors, right? They, they are actually light. And what is this light? It is Christ in us 
being seen by our deeds, the mercy, the purity of heart that leads us to a life that honors the Lord, the peacemaking that he's described. Right? You can think about it like this. In the way that the moon right, reflects light from the sun to the world, disciples reflect Christ by their deeds. And this is another way to say that this is what it means to build his kingdom and to reflect this king as you go into the world. You're to bring that light into those places. And where does light shine the brightest? In the darkest of places. In the darkest of places. I want to jump here for time. I want to jump down to what does that look like uh, to, to be this light? Just to get practical. Um, you bring light in the dark places when you practice poverty of spirit. All right. Let's not leave. Again, we're not leaving the Beatitudes. I, I promised you that. So let's go back there. You bring light into dark places when you practice poverty of spirit. Why? This often looks like a posture of one in need. This looks like somebody who doesn't have something and they need something. What does that mean? It means that you are pointing to that person. So your posture of self-sufficiency isn't necessarily the posture that God is looking for as light because you're pointing to yourself. Okay? Poverty of spirit, I need something, is, is bringing light into dark places because it's saying, hey, I don't have this all figured out either, but let me point you to the one who does. It is someone then who demonstrates a posture of need and thus has been shown mercy, which is why you love to show mercy. There is nothing more beautiful than being shown mercy and showing mercy. You bring light into dark places when you repent or mourn and grieve your sin. And that can happen in the world, or it can happen right in your home. I feel the best thing that I can do for my kids, and I might have said this at some point, but it's worth saying again. The best thing I can do for my kids as it pertains to being light to them is to over-communicate my need for Jesus. Which looks like repenting visibly before them, which I don't do a good job of. I had a pastor friend say once, I can't remember who it was, but... It stuck with me. He said, for every one of those comments to your children, you should be this. You should do this. Why do you do this? Should come with 10 examples of repenting. That stuck with me. Because what am I doing in that moment when I am not showing my need to my children, I'm telling them that there are actually two kingdoms. There's this kingdom of God over here that's good for you to be a part of. It's going to give you good morals, be a good person. But then there's also this other kingdom that I'm instructing you in. It's called the Ryan Moore kingdom. And it's here to glorify and satisfy me. And it's not saying as a parent, there aren't times when they don't need to hear, why are you doing this? But is it being accompanied by your repentance as well in appropriate ways? So that, so that they are not confused about which kingdom daddy is following. Mommy is following. You get the idea. You are bringing light in the places when you repent. You're bringing light in the places when you are pointing to the one who says, I will comfort you. You bring light in the dark places when you are so comfortable in your skin because you know who you are when you are meek, right? Because you know who you are and who you're not, that you can actually look to the needs of those around you and bring peace. That's light. Why are all these examples of, uh, about being light? As I said, it's about action that is not pointing to you. 
It's about pointing to somebody else. It's actions that point to not your kingdom being built. It's about pointing to another kingdom that you're a part of, that you're building. It's actions that point to not you as the king, but as somebody else who is the king. It is in the words of John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 30. He must, inc- he must increase and I must decrease. This is what it looks like to bring light into the world and to be light. It is promoting someone else's agenda, someone else's platform, and someone else's kingdom. Because when that happens, this is something others see. It is a visible difference that changes the world and potentially causes those who see your good works, your beautiful works, to give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the good part of the hard good news. As Dan Doriani writes in his commentary, if the only visible difference between Christians and secular people is that we go to church on Sunday and we give money away more regularly, why would they want to join us, he asks. If we divorce, if we alienate our children, if we tell lies, if we make dirty deals like everyone else, why not play golf on Sunday and spend our money on exotic vacations? And that's exactly what the world is doing. And so that makes a room pretty quiet. And I want, this to be, I want this to be sobering for us. Do you know who you are? Do you know what the mission is? These are visible things. And they are visible things that point to life change, that point to the true king. This is the hard good news. Persecution, salt, and light. These are the results of following Jesus, of belonging to his kingdom. So I'll I'll end here. Why does Jesus say this now? You know, why does he start here? And maybe we'll uh, talk about this more on the the Fourth Point podcast, which if you're unfamiliar with it, it's just a a throwaway podcast that, that goes into further detail about things in the sermon. Um, There are probably a lot of reasons for this, but I just think it's fair. I think he's being honest. I actually appreciate it. Let me know what I'm getting into, Jesus. Let me know what the mission is. Let me know what I can expect, right? It's honest. But let me leave you with this. This This is a completely different kingdom. And so if we're feeling a little bit unsettled, if we're feeling a little bit, I'm not sure about this, that's actually a good place to be. There isn't another kingdom like this, y'all especially as we go through this sermon, as he continues to describe and flesh out what this kingdom looks like, there is nothing like it. Which also ups the ante, there is nothing like being salt and light. But because there's no other kingdom like this, that also means there is no other king like this too, and that's who I want to leave you with. Because why are you going to do this? Why are you going to sign up for something that, that the, out of the gates the first thing that's given to you is persecution. Why are you going to go into hard places and consider what it looks like to be salt in those places and light in those places? You're going to do that because of the king. Because he is worthy. Because you love him. Any other answer is insufficient for such a mission. He is worthy, he is worthy, he is worthy. And the disciples don't know this yet, 
right? But this is a king who came into, and didn't avoid, came into persecution. He's going to be put to death. Didn't avoid it. He came into it. That's a beautiful work. This is a king who didn't think of salt as some sort of abstract idea that I'll get my lowly followers to do. He was it. He's the one that went into the darkest pits of hell and came out victorious. He is light, which means he is truth and he is authority in all places. And he did not keep that for himself. And he didn't just do this stuff so that he could prove to you and other people that he was God. He did it so that he could have you. He did it so that the poor in spirit would be rich. That's beautiful. Worthy is the Lamb. If you're looking for reasons why you might want to follow that king, let me leave you with that. Those beautiful works, those beautiful deeds, and may he become more beautiful and believable to us because of that. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us in Matthew where we think about the implications of of what you're telling us, the good hard news of persecution and the hard good news of being salt and light. Lord, this this is a mission way above us. This is a calling way above us. But may we look to you for it. May our poverty of spirit and our our continued hunger and thirst for righteousness and our understanding of where that is satisfied and how that is satisfied and how that means we belong to you be both the engine and the anchor that sends us into the world to do the mission. And whatever comes of that in whatever place, and may we be a church that prays for the persecuted here and throughout the world that the result of rejoicing over the Father's good deeds, or that that would be our reward. And where have we seen those good deeds? We've seen it in Jesus Christ. May we be identified with him. May we not be ashamed to call him our king. After all, he is not ashamed to call us his brother. Would you go with us now as we commune with you at this table? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.